Good morning. It's good to be here, as been said. We're glad to see each of you here this morning. Uh, we do have a good number of visitors, and we're uh, glad to meet you this morning. I invite you back to be with us anytime you can be here. We're counted an honor that you're here today. I hope that the study of the morning will benefit you, and you'll be edified and built up in the faith this morning. I'll give a little bit of a caveat. I've been under the weather this week. I'm probably going to do some coughing. I'm going to try to keep it as a minimum, but I'd ask for a little patience in that, if you don't mind, but we'll try to get through it the best we can. Nobody likes a hypocrite. Isn't that true? You think about hypocrisy that we see in our lives all around us. I was watching a clip on Facebook or Twitter or something here a while back, and it was a couple of men, a reporter, and challenging a protester about some current political issue and asked him a question, and based on his response, he said, well, you're just being a hypocrite about this issue. And the truth was, he was. And if you look around any political issue we see or any discussion that happens in our society, hypocrisy's everywhere. It's, it's, pretty much, it's pretty much qualification number one for being a politician in our society. And we see it everywhere. We see it in the workplace. You see bosses that'll ask people to do things that they aren't willing to do or ask them to behave in a way that they don't behave. We see it in entertainment. You see people that have got rich and famous making movies about shooting people up with guns the whole time, and then they speak out in society about gun laws and gun violence and how they're so against it. It's everywhere. And I think hypocrisy, in terms of religious matters, is a very serious issue, and it's one that's addressed in the Scriptures. That's what we want to look at a little bit this morning. As it relates to religious matters, and specifically Christianity, there's a group in the Bible, a couple of groups of people, called the scribes and the Pharisees, that are probably most associated with being hypocrites. And we want to take a look at those groups this morning, in particular, how Jesus himself directly addressed those groups and their hypocrisy and how they behave that way and, and what it meant and how dangerous it was. And I hope we can learn some lessons from these groups this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through a whole list of things there, stuff that we're really familiar with, the Beatitudes. He spends a lot of time on that in that chapter. That's the chapter where he talks about the, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world right after the Beatitudes. And right after he finishes those kind of two famous uh, passages of Scriptures, he talks about this in verse number 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does them and teaches them will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Previously in this chapter, he hadn't addressed the scribes and the Pharisees at all. He hadn't called them out by name, not even really a hint of them. But it was clearly something that was on his mind when he makes this statement. That's what I want us to consider this morning. Does our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? I think, it's a, I think it's a fair question to ask, and I think it's a critical question to ask if he says you won't enter the kingdom of heaven if it doesn't. So what does it mean? 
What does our righteousness have to look like to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? And I hope we can shine some light on that this morning. And he spends a lot of time in Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to spend the rest of our time there this morning pretty much exclusively. He does That entire chapter is addressing conversation about the scribes and the Pharisees and what their lives look like. I hope we can learn some things from them this morning. He starts that chapter by saying to a group of people that are there. He's not actually not even speaking directly to the scribes and Pharisees. We don't really know if there are any of those people present. I suppose there probably were, but he calls it his disciples and the crowds that are gathered there. But he starts by saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. And I think it's an important thing to draw out as we start this discussion, the fact that hypocrisy can still be rooted in truth. You know, if you think about calling somebody a hypocrite, our natural inclination is to immediately dismiss whatever it is they're talking about. And Jesus said, look, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They know the law. They teach the law. So you do what they're telling you to do. And we don't want that out of a hypocrite. We don't want to do what they say they do. Many times we want to turn and run the other way. And so I think it's an important thing to consider that even if somebody is being a hypocrite, they may be right. Now, their actions may not show it, as we're going to demonstrate this morning with these men, but what they're saying could be right. And I think we need to be open-minded enough to consider that and be willing to at least hear the message. He told them, do what these guys say. Many of you know that in my early 30s, I started having some issues with my thyroid, and I had a couple surgeries, had it taken out, had thyroid issues ever since that I've had to deal with blood work and the right kind of medication and all that, but... Whenever I went through that, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't an endocrinologist who originally found that stuff, but so I got referred to an endocrinologist. And um, the first time that I went to this doctor's office, uh, hadn't met her before, so I'm sitting in her office, and um, you know, an endocrinologist is someone that deals with thyroid issues and diabetes. That's kind of the two things in their wheelhouse. And so I'm sitting in this, um, this, this room waiting on the doctor to come in, and I'm observing all of the things that are in this room around me. It's all new to me. I am you know, never had diabetes, never had thyroid issues previously. And so a lot of the signage and the literature and things like that in this room were geared toward diabetics. And if there was one sign in that room, there were 100 that said the single biggest factor in your control of your diabetes is your weight. And I thought, man, this is like, they're really hitting this home. Like, if you have diabetes, they want you to control your weight. You know, obviously all the things that go along with blood sugar and trying to control that. And so I sat in there for 20 or 30 minutes or whatever it is. You typically wait on a doctor. And here in a little bit, she comes through the door. And I was immediately taken back. This woman was morbidly obese. And I'm trying to think of the way to say that delicately. I'm not making fun of her. It was just a fact. She was morbidly obese. And immediately, all credibility was gone for me. She, she could have said anything in the world to me at that point, and it wasn't going to matter. And we had some conversations. She began the treatment. She referred me actually to the surgeon to take my thyroid out. I saw her a couple more times, and I just could not get past that. Every time I saw her, that was the case. She had trouble breathing. She would stop and catch her breath, and I just could not handle my healthcare provider preaching these things to me and not even remotely living them in her life. And I changed doctors because of that. We don't like hypocrisy. And maybe the things that she she was telling me were correct. Maybe that was the right way to treat things. Maybe it was the right way to medicate. Maybe it was the right way to 
have a lifestyle going forward about it. But I couldn't get over the fact that she wasn't willing to live that way herself. I saw, that, I saw her in public two times after that. And they were at restaurants. So maybe I might have taken some advice about restaurant choice from her, but the medical advice wasn't going to happen. We don't like hip- hypocrites, even if she was right. Jesus told them, do what, do what they said. But the problem was, wasn't necessarily their message. Listen to what he says. Observe what they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but don't practice. That was the message. They don't practice what they preach. We all say that, right? They, somebody doesn't practice what they preach. We want people to practice what they preach. And that was the root problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is they didn't do that. They were willing to preach it. And I think it's a really challenging part of hypocritical behavior, and it really makes it become a credibility issue. What's your credibility? If you're an obese doctor trying to tell me to lose weight, you don't have credibility to make that argument. Think about all the areas of life that this plays out. I think about raising kids as a parent and how challenging this practice what you preach thing is. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The first time you see one of your children do something and it's a behavior that disgusts you and you know exactly where they got that behavior from. It's sickening as a parent, and it's embarrassing, and you want to change it. And we're not, we, we know we're not all going to be perfect. We know we're going to do those things that we're going to see that in our kids, and it should make us want to change. But it's a credibility problem. You see it in the workplace. I've had bosses before have expectations of me to do things and know good and well they weren't going to assist in that, that they weren't willing to do it themselves. Maybe they were too lazy to do it. If I'm looking for a financial advisor, I want a financial advisor that has demonstrated that they understand finances, that they know how to save, that they understand how to invest, that they have a proper view of debt, that they have a proper view of living within their means. All those things that you would expect. I don't want, you know, somebody that's right out of college that has no experience with that. There's a time and a place for that kind of thing, but they haven't shown me anything. If I want to lose weight, if I want a message from a doctor that says lose weight, I want somebody that's fit or that knows about nutrition or understands nutrition that can demonstrate to me how to do those things. I want somebody that can practice what, that practices what they preach. And with respect to religious matters, maybe there's nothing more critical for us having credibility with other people than to practice what we preach. And we're all going to stumble now. We're all going to fail, but it's a constant reminder that we should be trying to do that. It's so critical and so important. I was at a family holiday one time, and there was some discussion about um, one of the guys there apparently was a little bit wilder in his high school days. And so the discussion was around his children and how he wouldn't let his children do some of the things that he would do. And somebody else that was there said, he, he's just a hypocrite because he did that stuff in high school. Let's be clear what a hypocrite means. That's not being a hypocrite. That's called being a good parent. That's called making changes and corrections. You don't want to see your kids do the things that you did. Being a hypocrite may be him saying, I didn't do those things. Now we're getting into hypocritical territory. If he, said, if he denied that he was that way, but if he, if he doesn't deny that and he tells his kids, look, I made those mistakes. I don't want you to make them. That's not being a hypocrite. So let's be clear on that this morning. Let's focus on practicing what we preach every day in our lives. It's such a critical thing to build credibility and influence. Listen as he goes on here, how he describes how they, how they actually behaved. 
He said they, in verse number four, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. Do you know anybody like this in your life? I've kind of glossed over this verse, thinking about the scribes and Pharisees before, but this is such a, this is such a key thing as well on that kind of behavior. He's, we don't have any information here about what those burdens are that they, were, that they were placing on those people necessarily, but we do know that they weren't willing to help with them. We all know people like this. They all want to give opinions and chime in on things and tell you how to do things, and yet they're not going to do a single thing to help out with it. Nobody likes to be around those kind of people, do they? We're not going to have any kind of influence or any kind of the ability to have any kind of impact on people's life if we're like that. I mentioned a couple months ago in one of my lessons and showed the picture of all the flooding that had happened at our house, and the, that road washed out and that problem that we had to deal with, and Two months later, we still don't have a road at our house, and it's just been a constant point of frustration. You know, there's, there's little to no communication going on. I've kind of turned into the neighborhood thorn in the side trying to press for meetings and get some information on how we can actually get some action to get these things done. So I finally was able to get everybody together for a, for a I'm, I'm going to use the word HOA. It's a pretty loose thing out where we live. There's only about 20 homes, but it's technically an HOA meeting. So we finally got everybody together. And we're supposed to have five people on our board of directors for our HOA. We only have three currently because nobody wants to do it. So I got suckered into doing it again. So now we have a five-person board again. But you get a room full of 20 people, and you talk about an issue that's going to cost us all some money, and every single person in that room has a strong opinion about what should happen. So there's a lot of open discussion. What do we go next? How much is it going to cost? What's the most cost-effective solution? What's the best solution for long-term planning in case we have future flooding that causes problems? All these things. Opinions everywhere. As many people as there are, there's five times that many opinions. And you know how many people want to actually help solve the problem? Well, five now, because there's five on the board. But even on the board, getting people to actually do it, it's, it's pulling teeth. Everybody wants to tell you how to do something, and nobody wants to help with part of the problem. And that's what the, the Pharisees were. They laid these burdens on people that they weren't willing to help with. What's your view of the church with respect to this? What are your expectations of your brothers and sisters, of the people around you? Do you expect them to do things, and yet you're not willing to lift a finger to help with those things? Do you expect a certain morality out of your brothers and sisters that you're not willing to help keep yourself? Think about that this morning. I would challenge each of us to think about that daily. What's our expectations of everyone else? And are we willing to participate in that? Are we willing to do the work that we expect of others? Or do we want to push it all off on them? He challenged them on that. And I think they were willing to act this way ultimately because of their motives and everything. As he goes on here in verse number five, he says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love their pl- the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. What's your motive for doing the things that you do? What's your motive for your religious beliefs, for the way that you portray yourself from a religious standpoint? This is, I think, a key criticism of the M in what was drawing the attention of Jesus as he talked about them was just this focus, 
focus on self, how they were just so concerned about how they looked. We don't use the term phylacteries in our daily vocabulary. If you look it up, it's, this is a couple of pictures that um, I thought kind of best represented the way it's described when you research it. But apparently they wore these kind of religious symbols, these little boxes that they may have on their head or around their neck, sometimes had scriptures inside them. Uh, or these leather straps that they would wrap around them may have scriptures engraved on them or something like that. So there's this appearance of being a religious person. And that's what he challenges on them. You know, they, they want to be seen by others. They want somebody to notice them because of that. They want to be called master and teacher. They want to be known when they go into these public places. They want people to notice them. They want the best seat at the table. They want all these things that say power and status and look at me. And he called them out on that. We're not going to wear probably a phylactery on our forehead, any of us, I suppose, or wrap these leather things around our arms, our wrists, but we might wear a cross on a necklace, or we might put Philippians 4.13 on a piece of eye black when we play a football game or something like that. And look, he didn't say there's anything inherently wrong with him doing that. I don't know what the tradition was. I don't I'm not a Jewish scholar. I don't know the tradition behind those things. But I know that he's talking about how they use them in an incorrect way. And when we do those things to draw attention to that and draw attention to ourselves, it does exactly that. It draws attention to us and ourselves. And so there's a certain level of scrutiny that comes with that. And so that's the whole point of this whole conversation is don't be hypocritical in that. you got to do that in a way to where if you're going to have attention on you, it better be good so that it influences somebody correctly. Let's make sure our motives are right for the way we do things. And as I said, the root of this, their motives was because the focus was on self. He says, you're not, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors... For you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whosoever humbles himself will be exalted. I think, ultimately, the root of hypocritical behavior is a focus on self, if you think about it. And I suppose we can say that about any sinful behavior. But hypocrisy specifically, if you're focusing on yourself, you're much more likely to be hypocritical in your behavior. They weren't focused on others or serving others or helping others. They were focused on how they looked, having that seat at the table, how they looked in the marketplace, how they looked in the eye of the public. They wanted to be perceived religious, so they did what they could to to make themselves look like that. And we can strive to have the best seat at the table on earth and spend all of our time focusing on that and lose our seat at the table of heaven. Let's not do that. Let's have our focus in the right place. It's a lesson in humility, really, building a godly humility that gets us a seat at that table. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus who the greatest in the kingdom was? You know, they were kind of having a little bit of discussion about that. They said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he brought a little kid over to him and said, this is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever becomes like this little kid, humbles himself like this little kid. You know, when, how could, he could have answered that question a hundred different ways. You know, I don't know, what, I don't know what they were wanting him to answer that with, but he could have pointed back to Moses or Abraham or any of those heroes of faith. David, he could have given a huge list of names. He, 
Hebrews chapter 11, that could have been the answer to that question. But like many things, our view and our perspective on that is far different than his. And he said, whoever humbles himself like this little kid, it's a focus on others. I think one of the biggest dangers, this kind of hypocrisy we're talking about today is, interestingly enough, because of a focus on herself, it leads to impacting others beside yourself. And I think this is a really challenging passage here as he goes on in verse number 13. Listen to what he challenges them with here. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That one kind of hits hard, doesn't it? You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. What does that even mean? Can you, with your behavior, can you keep somebody out of heaven? I think that's exactly what he's saying. The way that you're acting, you're slamming it in their faces. Well, we're not going to do that to people. We're not, I don't want anybody to stay out of heaven. I'm not going to shut the kingdom of heaven in their faces, but do we with our behavior? If we act hypocritical in things, have you ever thought about actually keeping somebody out of heaven because of how you act? It's a pretty sobering conversation. It's a challenging thing to look at with respect to your own behavior. Is there a hint? Is there just a hint of hypocrisy in my life that would cause somebody not to go to heaven? That's pretty tough to think about. And I hope, we'll think about, I hope we will think about it. And I think the challenge is to think about it. And if we'll think about those things, we'll be more conscious of them. We'll, we'll not want to be that way. He uses the word proselyte here. That's an, an, another word that's not kind of common in our vocabulary, but essentially he's just talking about a convert. And it's kind of the same thing. You know, you'll, you'll jump through all these hoops to convert somebody, and all you did is lead them to hell. You know, we spend all this time and effort trying to convert somebody, teaching these things, and then our behavior just runs them straight to hell? Wouldn't that be such a disappointing thing to think about? The scribes and Pharisees um, were what people today might call a bit legalistic. We talk about that term from time to time, you know, legalism. And I think kind of by definition, that's kind of the way they were here, right? They were just really focused on dotting I's and crossing T's for the sake of dotting I's and crossing T's. And we know that Jesus already said, hey, you need to do what they're saying. You know, the message isn't necessarily wrong. You need to do those things. You need to dot the I's and cross the T's. But listen how he describes it here, their view of the commands that they choose to keep and don't. Verse number 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind God, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? He said, hey, you, you do all of this tithing, right? This is, this is what's important to you. And he didn't say that it wasn't important, but he said you neglected the weightier matters. Have you ever thought about the fact that there are weightier matters to God? It's, it's kind of challenging to think about because you say, well, okay, well, does that make justice and mercy and faithfulness more important than tithing? Well, he called them weightier matters. Okay, so we shouldn't tithe. Well, he didn't say that. He said you should have 
focused on justice and mercy and faithfulness while you were tithing. He didn't say don't dot the I's and cross the T's. He said dot the I's and cross the T's, but show mercy and be faithful and care about justice. And that conversation about legalism in our society, I think, ultimately is rooted in the fact that people want to be able to excuse their sinful behavior. They say, well, you're just being legalistic in wanting to do all those things. You're, you're being legalistic in wanting to come to church every week. Well, he wants us to come to church every week, but that means we, doesn't mean we shouldn't love people or care about mercy and those things, and that's exactly how they were. They, they, they left out the weightier matters. Let's be sure we're focusing on those things. Take care of the mechanics. The mechanics are important. We care about all those things. We care about doing what God told us to do, but not at the expense of the weightier matters. And I tried to think of some good uh, modern-day examples of this. I don't know what that would be, so I would challenge each of you to think about what that might be. Maybe we, you know, maybe we focus on somebody missing an assembly. You know, we, we want to we keep a scorecard on how many times somebody came to church or how many times they didn't, but, we're not, but, but yet then when we're at church, all we're doing is talking about people behind their back and you know, worrying about petty things like that. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the right scenario is, but think about those things. Think about what's important. Think about loving people. Think about checking on people. Thinking about talking to people about the gospel. But don't neglect the other things. I think that's an important lesson for us that we can learn from them. Give some thought to what these things might be. And really, I think what the Pharisees were doing, as I thought about this whole conversation, is really what they were trying to do was they were kind of trying to build their own version of righteousness. They really were trying to define righteousness on their own. And I think, you know, while we don't necessarily, that's not really an overt thing for us, we don't, you know, we don't come out and say, oh, I'm going I'm to come up with my own view of righteousness. Isn't that kind of what we do sometimes? We kind of have this, my sins aren't as bad as your sins kind of attitude about stuff. And, and we know, you know, the, the things that other people struggle with, we look at and we think, well, those are, those are worse than what I struggle with. And the way that we live kind of, kind of says that we have our own view of what righteousness should be. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We went on a family vacation on a road trip a couple weeks ago, and like happens on a road trip. We get home and the car's filthy, bugs all over it. Uh, last tank of gas I put in it, I over-squeezed the handle that one last time, and gas flowed down the side so it has a gas stain on it, just dirt and mud all over it. Like, we need to run this thing through the car wash. So paid my 20 bucks, ran it through the car wash. This thing looks pretty good, but you know what? The inside has Legos, spare parts, and candy wrappers and all the empty drink cups and some spare blankets and probably some sporting equipment and dirt and filth and all the stuff that's on the floorboards. And you can't walk up to my car and say, that's a clean car. Now, the appearance of it 
might be that it looks clean, but you open the door and take a peek inside and it's pretty clear that it's not. And that's what the Pharisees like to do. They like to, they like to wash the outside, the descriptions that he used, the cup or the, the tomb. You know, they you build these nice fancy monuments as a burial ground and keep them pure white and clean as can be, but inside it's just full of dead man's bones. And that's how he described, described them. They put on these fancy phylacteries and robes and all the things that they did, and their hearts were just full of dead men's bones. And it's a sharp rebuke, and it's something that we should pay attention to. Don't worry about the outside as much. Clean the inside up first. Start with the inside. The outward appearance will come if you clean the inside. And that was his challenge to them, Make, you know, making our own version of righteousness. Let's, let's worry about God's version of righteousness. Let's get the inside looking like God wants it to look, and then we can worry about the outside. He kind of finishes out this chapter. Um, it's kind of an interesting dialogue here as he talks about their kind of view of other religious people. And I want us to just think about that a little bit here as we close. But he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up in the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? What does the way that we live say about our faith? You know, we, you think about um, some of these behaviors, these people that we read about in the scriptures, and, you know, you think about the Jews, and we look back and we say, hey, the, the Jews crucified the Lord. How could they have done that? And we look back and we say, how could Peter have denied, it, denied the Lord three times after all that time he spent with him? And the relationship that they had and what he meant to him, how could he have denied him three times? And we, we look at Judas and we say, how could he have done that for 30 pieces of silver? And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And they, they looked back and they said, hey, if it would have been us, we wouldn't have killed the pro, all these prophets. We, we wouldn't have done that. And he challenged them on that. And I think a good lesson for us is to think about, would we really... What would we have done if we were the Jews? What would we have done if we were in Judas' spot? Are we naive enough to believe that we wouldn't have done what Peter did and denied the Lord? He says, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous, able to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And I wonder how we would behave. I wonder if we're hypocritical enough to look back on that and, and criticize them, and then the way we live on our lives on a daily basis crucifies him over and over again. He said, woe unto you, the blood of them is on you. He knew they were going to come. And he knew they were going to kill him, and he knew they were going to persecute him. And we can go read all throughout Paul's ministries and all the 
places he visited. We did that study on Thessalonians, how they were treated by the Jews, the people he's talking to. They were beaten. They were run out of town over and over again. They moved on to somewhere else because of that. They did exactly what they said they wouldn't have done because of their hypocritical behavior. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I hope we'll consider these things this morning. I hope the study benefited you in some way. If there's something that we can help you with this morning, the church is here to do that. We understand that the answer to hypocrisy is Jesus. The answer is aligning our lives more with what he's asked us to do. Behaving like he's asked us to behave, patterning our lives after him and not after our own view of righteousness, not after our own desire to sit at the seat, the best seat at the table, but having the humility of a child, having the humility that says it's about Jesus. And we want to offer an invitation at this time. If you have any need, whether that's obedience to his gospel, or if you have any need that the church can help you with, we invite you to come as we sing this invitation song.